Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Voices of Construction. This is George Hunt filling in for Noah Baker this week. So if you've already had the thought in your head, am I going a little crazy or does Noah sound a bit different? Maybe you got a different microphone. Uh, you don't need to question your sanity any longer as I am, in fact, filling in for him. So this is not Noah. Uh, but Noah's off on a little well-deserved R&R this week. So hopefully he's off enjoying himself, sipping on a drink on a beach somewhere with his feet up. But meanwhile, the rest of us back here in the Boston area, at least, are enjoying the start of fall. Leaves are starting to turn, um, and we're gearing up for the Boston Marathon on Monday, which is on a newly scheduled date this year thanks to COVID. But nevertheless, the hype is still there. Everyone's still very excited. And for anyone who's been here in Boston during Marathon Monday, knows how big of an event it is and just what the experience is like. And for those who haven't, is it's something I highly recommend. It's a great atmosphere, a uh, great time, bring the family, you know, come out and see some great runners. And, um, you know, really the whole weekend has a bunch of events around it. So highly recommend to anyone who hasn't been up here before. So I'm excited to bring you all this next episode of Voices of Construction, where I sit down with Connor Butler of Relevate and Colin Milberg of Askman Associates. So both Connor and Colin are consultants within the lean construction space and they'll do their own introductions but i've been friends and colleagues with these two for a number of years now and their level of knowledge and insights around lean construction and the industry in general always makes for some great conversation and so we wanted to bring colin and connor together to talk about the lean construction consulting world and how technology and innovation and the evolution of that has been changing things from their perspective um, so we talk a little bit technology, we talk about big data, we talk about how things have been interacting with everyone in this digital day and age now uh, with COVID. And there's a little geeking out about production theory thrown into the mix there, but I'm always a fan of that. And so hopefully you'll all find some really good takeaways from this uh, in our conversation, uh, as I think Colin and Connor offer a lot of insight and that you know it's applicable to just about everyone not just anyone in the lean construction consulting space so enough of me talking and let's get you over to the show hope you all enjoy so all right thank you everyone tuning in thanks for coming and joining us for our conversation here joined today by colin milberg askman associates as well as connor butler from relevate uh, both of which I've known for a while here, and it's good to get you guys together to talk. So how are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, before we get into, you know, the main topic that I think I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, why don't we get a little introduction and background from you guys? Um, Connor, we can go ahead and start with you. You know, why don't you let the listeners who might not know you uh, know a little bit about you and your company and a little background of how you got to where you are now. Sure. So thank you again. Happy to be here. Our company, Relevate, we've been open four years this month. That That's an exciting... Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, we were really founded on helping people do things differently within construction. That That's our goal. That's how we got connected with you at TouchPlan. Uh, and that we, we try to be open-minded about that. A lot of what we do is in the lean construction space, but we find that people need help in a variety of areas. And when you are looking to give us money, we don't want to be picky about how you do that. <laughs> uh, so a, a, a large portion of our work is in the microelectronics, high tech data centers, those kinds of things. We uh, we have an office in Ireland now supporting a couple of clients 
Uh, we do a lot of work in the UK, which we've done some touch plan work uh, out of that, uh, and then in the US. And we really are about uh, helping owners, contractors, builders solve their problems. And, and we try to take a unique approach and get them thinking about other ways they can do it from some of the traditional things. So that's us. Uh, I'm the co-founder uh, of, the, of the company. Nick Crutchfield is my partner. Uh, I was in the microelectronics industry on the owner side for 19 years, all, almost all in capital projects. In the last five years, I was in that space. We were, I was, uh, had given up all of my direct reports and things. It was just focused on the question of why were our construction costs escalating so fast? So in, in, in that market, you know, there's always new things coming out and there's a return that you get for making an investment and the new stuff. And that was being eroded because of uh, the inefficiency that we were getting out of the construction market. And, you know, I, as an engineer, I started asking questions and quickly realized that we didn't have a fundamental understanding of what it was that we were buying when we bought construction. and you know, the, the, that goes to the financial deals, to the production management that I know Colin's an expert on, the, the whole thing. And so I got to spend kind of five years studying that and then left to join a startup that didn't work out and we started Relevate. Uh, and so that's us. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. It was great to hear uh, the story again. Wow, well, yeah. Uh, so Colin, um, why don't you introduce the folks to you? Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder of Askeman Associates. Um, we're a lean construction consulting firm. Similar to Connor's mission at Relevate, you know, I got into this. I've been in construction all my life. My dad ran a small residential contracting business in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I worked on the big dig uh, for five years. So with all of that, I basically got to see how we beat up and spit out are the people in our industry, right? Everybody gets overworked, everybody's, <laughs> right? We, we, we burn out everybody. And uh, so I ended up going back to school to get initially my master's and stayed for my PhD at UC Berkeley and got introduced to lean construction. And, and that was a big aha moment for me where I looked at the stuff that I did in particular on the big dig and realized why some of the stuff I did worked and why other things I did didn't work. Um, and with that, I was like, oh, wow, I've got a recipe to be successful on any project and how much better that could make people's lives in our industry. And so it took me a little while to, to figure out that that was my motivation and purpose, but, but I got there. And so uh, after doing a stint teaching, which is what you do after you get a PhD, <laughs> Um, I, I came back to the East Coast from California and, and started a consulting business. Um, and that's really our goal. We've worked on tons of projects of all different sizes. Um, in particular, as Connor mentioned, my expertise is in that, that more that uh, production planning space, but we're doing more and more people work, uh, sort of leadership and developing a lean culture of continuous improvement uh, as of late. But that's that's how we got to where we are, and uh, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Awesome, I love it. 
And uh, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the Big Dig, um, it, it was a very big uh, highway relocation tunnel project here in the greater Boston area that took quite a few years. Um, a lot of, we'll call it controversy, I guess controversy could be out of there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, you know, for those who didn't know what was going on beforehand, they had no idea what it used to be like versus now. So, but yeah, it was a quite quite a big, how many years did it actually take total? I think it was over a 10 year span, roughly, yeah. uh, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And it was the largest civil works project to, at its time. I think the New York aqueducts overtook that, that at the time, but uh, it was a huge learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, it's fantastic now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I and especially too, where you... yeah, getting out of getting out of Boston now without it. For five yeah. years, I was on a short 900 foot section of tunnel, right? And I got to tell my kids as we drive through, this is the part that Daddy worked on, <laughs> and it's over. It takes you know when you're driving through, boom, 900 feet goes by like that. <laughs> It's like 900 feet relate to a whole section of life. It's great. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, great. It's it's great to have you guys here um, having a conversation with us. So um, before we get into the meat of what I wanted to talk about is I had sent this list over to you guys of what I wanted to chat with you guys about. And this, this question actually came up the other day. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to get your guys' take on it um, because, you know, I think there's... I don't want to say a, a disagreement to, with some people on whether or not you know those in the lean construction world whether you guys are consultants whether you're coaches whether you're a little of both so i'd like to get your guys's take on that as you know when you're going with a team or going into a company and you're hired on as consultant coach do you see yourself as a consultant versus a coach do you find there's a difference um you know how do you guys feel about that and uh, what, what's, what's your take on that? You want to take a step first, Connor? I'll, I'll let you... Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the cheesy answer is I don't really care what you call me as long as you call me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, the, uh, I, I don't know that either one of these words accurately describes the kind of value that we think that we bring to a construction team, a company, or a project. Um, and the, the way that I, it has been explained to me best is from Chauncey Bell. Uh, and he talks about the idea of leadership and management. Uh, hmm. And he got that from, help me call him, uh, the, the change guy at Harvard. Oh. Uh, I know who you mean, but I'm drawing a blank as well. But yeah, that's right. so the, the Harvard professor, very famous, has kind of drawn these distinctions between management and leadership. And uh, the, the distinction that he makes is management brings kind of stability to an organization and leadership brings kind of instability to an organization. And Chauncey Bell thinks that there's kind of a third domain that people operate in, which is you bring new practices to an organization, which is some management, some leadership, and a lot of other things. And I think the skills that Colin brings, I think that we bring uh, uh, it kind of as a catalyst for change. And it's this idea of bringing new practices and there may or may not be a good one word, you know, description of what that is. Um, and so we get, you know, labeled consultants, coach. I don't think that 
you know, most of the people that you find in the lean construction community that call themselves consultants, the good news is that they're not the, the folks that are going to take your watch, tell you what time it is and send you a bill. Like they really want to help and that the form of that help that they deliver can change dramatically from client or project to project. But the, uh, there is a good community of people in this space that want to help. And I, I think that what that help best is, is the implementation of new practices. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more, Connor. And maybe, maybe we do need a new word. And right when I preface my proposals, right, I put in there facilitation, training, coaching, right? Because we're doing, we're doing all of those. We're, we're bringing new practices and, and changing people's thinking. Uh, right, and and that's one piece, and and then we are acting as coaching for people to develop uh, leadership skills, right? So leadership is coaching, um, which is an important component to to changing culture, and we're acting as consultants, facilitating directly, right, actions and and providing roadmaps and advice for how they can do their work, um, and it really depends on what the clients, how much you're doing of one or the other depends on the client's needs and, and where they're at at the moment. So my initial answer would have been both, but I, I love the idea that Connor brings up, which is we need a different word. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that was even an option that anyone <laughs> the other day when it came up, came up with is that we need a different word. Um, you know, the, the debate was back and forth of if you're, you're teaching people versus you're trying to show them and coach them along and, and that whole thing. But I think, uh, no, you guys bring up a great point is that there is, there definitely is so much that, you know, you guys are doing for companies aside from just teaching them or coaching them and bringing them along. Um, and also Connor, you bring up a great point that I think maybe it's unique to the lean construction community. Maybe it's not, but the fact that the community of the lean construction consultants that are out there, you guys do work together so much. I feel like even though, Right. Technically speaking, you guys are quote unquote competitors, right? As you're all trying to get the clients and stuff. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like that's different with the link construction world? And like I said, it's maybe I'm biased because I've been in construction and, you know, around link construction consultants. But do you feel like that's a little different with consultancy in the link construction world? Or do you think it's just a thing? I don't know. I'll, I'll go for that. I think it's just a thing. Right. I, I look at other communities and right consultants in all those other communities. Right. You need a support group of people. If you're going to push the edge of thinking in any one of those, you're going to be engaging with your peers and, and learning as a group. Um, so I, I think in every one of those communities, other communities, there are those pockets where that that definitely occurs. I don't know. Connor, you think that's generally true? I do. Uh, you know, there are communities and spaces we're in where I don't have the relationship with the people that maybe we would label competitors that, that I have with you or Terry or other people that we work with. And I, I think part of that is the the idea of lean um, and the community and helping everybody. I think, you know, there are, there are those relationships within that community. Um, but I, I don't know that it's everywhere. And I do think that I'd like to be proud that we are, we do have something special here, whether whether it exists in other places or not, I do think it's special. Agreed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's definitely been something impressive that I've noticed, you know, since I've got into lean construction, is just how much people are willing to help each other out and 
give out advice and talk about what worked for them here, what worked for them there, and so on. It's uh, like you said, it, it it does live up to you know kind of the lean fundamentals that everyone's talking about and trying to go by anyways. But like I said, it's just it's impressive. So um, so thank you guys for helping me. I'm not going to say settle that debate that we had, but at least add more more talking points to it. So the next time we get get to it, they, we can uh, bring up the new word as a as a new option. But um, let's get into the kind of meat of what I wanted to talk about today with you guys. And I think it's you know you each probably have a, a different you know perspective on it and from coming from different areas and, and backgrounds. And really, it's it's just gearing around the idea of the evolution of technology and construction in general, and then also construction and technology, you know, the way people work, what they use on the job sites, and then also the obvious of what we're going through today with COVID and having to be remote and everything else. And just kind of talk through, you know, what technology has kind of gone through and changed from your guys' perspective when it comes to trying to come into these companies and help them out. So you know, I don't know if Colin, you want to start it off, but you know, if you want to take the last five, 10 years into account, if you look at things, how has technology evolving really kind of changed or shaped the way that you're going in and talking to clients and kind of approaching the job, so to speak, um, when you go into a company? That's a good question. And I have to think about that. I mean, certainly the the COVID piece has, has made a huge huge difference right um right, right. in things that i never thought could be accomplished remotely over over platforms like zoom or or other platforms you know collab shared collaboration space programs um like touch plan right where where people can have that collaboration from afar and i've really seen that it is possible you there's more preparation there's you have to learn different skills right mm. um in, in order to make them successful but prior to covid i was very resistant to the idea that you could that you had to be face to face with people right um and i'll still argue that from what we provide from a coaching perspective that i still feel like there's there's no substitute for being in the room and observing behaviors not not providing the coaching back to somebody. I feel like you can do that, okay. But really getting a feel for the room and and what's going on in the room and and what people's attitudes and behaviors are, so so you can assess that. That's still challenging to do um, outside of an in-person scenario. Um, but I think it's also opened people's eyes up to the technology that was already there. It cracks me up to talk to people where we look at process improvement and and what it takes and and how an engineer who only visits the site once every three months becomes a huge issue from a process standpoint as to how they're handling RFIs or doing job walks so they really understand what's going on and the miscommunication that goes back and forth. And all of a sudden after COVID, everybody realized, oh, if I just put them on FaceTime on my phone and go for a walk, they it's like they're here and we can do the job walk together and it and we can have the conversation we need to have and we can resolve the issues right in this fashion and that's been amazing and drones uh and the the visualization technology just just to see the status of the job things like open space 
um, for job statusing, um, you know, and building information software as well as real-time information about project status is allowing people to make more effective decisions because there isn't the huge delay in when information is available. Um, how much everybody's taking advantage of that quite yet. Still, I think it's in its infancy, but but I am seeing those pieces of it. That's Definitely. my that's my first take on on that question. Sure. Um, I'll res I have a response to something on that, but yeah, Connor, what about you? Uh, what have what have you seen? Well, let me just start with a, a shameless plug for what Colin did during COVID. I mean, when, when you talk about using technology to do things differently and the, and collaborating in new ways, he took, you know, and we saw this throughout the education industry, but I think probably one of the best examples, and, and I have kids in school that were in remote learning for a while, he developed, you know, simulations and things that I didn't, before this, I didn't think it was possible to do it. Um, and all the curriculum for it. It's the a AGC stuff. If if you haven't had a chance to go through that with them, it, is it as good as it was before? It's really exciting what he did, and it's just scratching the surface. And I know we've we've talked about some other things um, we could build on that. So he he is a, a leader in in this, and I'm excited to see where it goes from time. here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what we're seeing, it, it, I think you he you mentioned Colin that you know, we're in the infancy, and it does feel like um, it's the wild west a little bit. Everybody has some new thing, and the thing that we sometimes struggle with is, you know, what what is the right place to invest for technology, and what's the what's going to bring the best business value. And a lot of people hear things and they, they see that they're really cool, uh, but there, <laughs> there may not always be the, you know, that, that may not be the best place to do it. And, and I, I think, you know, five or 10 years from now that the, the, some of the most valuable things are things that we're not even thinking about today. And, you know, it could be, uh, and I know, George, a touch point. You guys have kind of been seeing this where people are using your 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 software and you're like, what are you doing that for? Right? The, yeah. the these platform, you know, if we can get some of these platforms that people could play with, uh, we'll start to see new use cases emerge. Yeah. That, that's exciting. No, I absolutely. Got, I got something to add to that too, because because that whole business case for a lot of these things, I I've ended up facilitating some CBA choosing by advantages, decision-making, you know, where, where people are looking at where they invest. Um, and the interesting thing that always comes out of it in many cases is sure, they need to choose where they invest because there's always the shiny new toy. But in many cases for things like using TouchPlan, using Procore, if they add as a choice, continuing to do the ad hoc procedures that they're doing now, the decision is almost what we keep finding in these is well the amount of money they'll save by eliminating manual processes and ad hoc processes choosing any one of the other alternatives is still better right so it's not so much which one but don't leave yourself in the dust of of 
right 20 years ago of, of the way we used to handle those things too. So, so there's, there's a, right. It depends on what you're comparing it to. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. We, I actually had a conversation similar to that earlier today with somebody about, you know, the, well, what does it save you for time? And it's like, well, what are you doing now? It's like, just think of what you're doing now. And if you were to go to something like touch plan where it's cutting out a bunch of the manual admin stuff you're doing, it's like, just think of that alone. You know what I mean? It's like, you might not be able to quantify every single hour or minute that you're going to be saving by doing something or using some technology, but it's like, you know, something's there. It's, it's doing something. And like you said, unless you put it up against itself um, of what you're doing, you know, you don't really, you don't really compare it all the time. Um, but yeah, Connor, your your point about colon and the simulations there was actually what I was going to come back to as well. Um, the point about it is that, you know, for those who don't know, uh, colon has been very uh, involved with the AGC CM Lean training, um, and you know, obviously when COVID hit and the in-person classes um, ceased, is you know he was very uh, big to step up and help the development of the online course itself. Um, and as Connor alluded to, a lot of the simulations that normally happen in person. Um, and so they're now, you know, digitized. And Connor, like you said, I think they're just as good almost as in person. You know what I mean, I think there's still, you know, there's still the nuances that, you know, like we're alluding to that you're not going to get as being in person. But I think when it comes to the concepts that you're trying to get across with the simulations, I think it does the job that, that you're looking for. Um, Actually, Colin, can you talk about that a little bit when you guys were going into it? Like, what what was the hardest part about that when you guys were building those things out? Like building any simulation, right? It's it's it takes a lot of iterations to to get it right. In some ways, I had an easy time because I was modeling it off of physical ones that that already existed. So I knew the points that we were trying to make. I knew the the context and content that it needed to have um deciding on a platform was pro I, I went through many platforms to figure out what was going to be easily accessible to people um and and which one made it the most visual and and uh experiential right across the board for for all of those pieces um so that was some of the the hardest because it, it was a completely new area that people weren't going into. I didn't have, oh yeah, use this platform, right? So I had to do all that experimentation, try it out with people. George, I think you were a guinea pig on a couple of those. So uh, yep, we yep. appreciated that. Um, but one of the interesting things that we found through that experimentation is in some ways we were able to get it just as good. And I, I'll share one example where it, actually maybe is even a little bit better. Um, if people are familiar with playing the airplane game simulation, uh, building Lego airplanes, there are, there are multiple varieties of the, of the same, same thing. Um, we made one, and yes, we made it houses instead of airplanes, which right, makes it more construction related. But the interesting thing that we did was we wanted it to be more like construction in that the workers moved past the work instead of the work moving past the workers, um, which is much more of a manufacturing, right, assembly line uh, scenario. And what it showed was that when, when that switches, the pull mechanism is less clear. In order to see the pull, 
you actually have to look at where you've just been, not where you're going to. And when the work moves past you, people are used to looking, oh, what's coming up next down, down the line for me? What's ahead of me? But they aren't looking at what was to the right. What did I just hand off? And is that person working on it or not? And that shift is really hard. And it, it highlighted something that we've seen in construction for a long time. It's really challenging for people to understand this pull concept in construction. For, for materials, it's easy. For one trade passing on to the next, it's really hard for them to grasp it. And the simulation, changing that one aspect of the simulation highlighted why. And so now we're actually investigating and I'm, I'm working with uh, potentially some faculty to look at what is the psychology about that and how can we come up with a better signal that's more obvious for that kind of pull in construction, right? What are the, the, those symbols that work? So in certain ways, it's made it more relevant to our industry and highlighted things about our industry that we wouldn't have known had we not been forced to, to update them. So that was cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's good to know too that, you know, it, it's it sparked the uh, the continuous improvement of it. Like you said, it's because I'm sure. Do we know how long have we been using that game? Kind of has it been now for, I mean, years. Almost Thirty years. Yeah, right. And so it's it's kind of now uh, bringing that to light. So yeah, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, Connor, I wanted to circle back to one of the comments you were making a little bit uh, before. Uh, when we were talking here and it, it was around when you were talking the shiny toy and you know everyone wants to invest all this money in it do you feel like now because there's so many technologies out there and because there's you know they're changing every day and everything's new do you feel like it's hard when you come into a company or on a project or whatever it is to pull people away from looking at that shiny toy and bring them back to, you know, let's look at something other than just the tool that you're using and, and try to bring it to fundamentals. Because I think it comes up a lot within lean and lean construction is the, you know, it's not just the, the tool you're using. It's, you know, you gotta have some idea of the fundamental behind it too, because that might be what has to change. It might have to be a process that changes, not just the tool that you're using. Um, so have you found that because there's so many things coming out now, that it makes it a little more difficult or it just makes another thing that you have to navigate when you come into you know, a client? Yeah, I think it can. The, you know, we had a, a big glass planner deployment fail one time. And I think at, in the moment, the people that were kind of responsible for that, that are, very well-intentioned, very good folks kind of put the a large part of the failure on having the wrong tool. Um, I, I, I think we could probably make it work with that tool today, you know, five, six years later, knowing what we know, two years remote work and things. Um, the bigger issue that I think we have is this idea that, yeah, the, people ask me who your competition is. My comp, my biggest competition as a business and as a lean construction community is doing things the way that we've always done them. 
So yes, there is a problem sometimes with focus on technology. Do you really need a satellite to follow your job site from space? I'm not sure <laughs> that's where I would put my money, but at, you know, at the same time, do something. Uh, you know, I think that the, the bigger issue that we face is, well, we've always done it this way. Uh, the biggest competition we have are the tools that, that have been around for 30 years, whether that's email, cell phone, spreadsheets, stickies on the wall, CPM schedules, those those are bigger competitions than trying to say, you know, do we want to use something else? So that that's the that's the bigger problem that we face. Yeah, that's the infancy infancy thing that I think I was getting at is adoption in the construction industry of new technology is relatively slow. Well, relatively. Yeah extremely yeah. slow <laughs> no no offense to our industry but uh so yeah i i agree connor yeah i mean i think too is you know i obviously at touch plan i hear it all the time with folks you know going from the manual process to the digital one when it comes to last planner but i think in general in my past life it's not just come up when it comes to planning software but just technology and software in general kind of like you said is that you know okay at least we're doing something to move forward but you know, do we need that satellite or it's like do we necessarily need to have a drone because well you know based on where we need to fly it we now need to get someone certified with you know an faa license to fly you know what i mean and, and it's it's just all the stuff on top but where it's like is that really the best place we need to put our money in um so it does it, it brings up that question and i think you know a lot of times too when it comes to link construction um you know, pe people put a lot of emphasis, you know, and rightfully so on the fundamentals of it, making sure that people understand why we're doing, you know, last planner, why it works and all of that. And so I think, uh, you know, j just a question of it where, you know, hey, there's a shiny new toy, I want to go use it or do that uh, comes into play. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for that. I think it, it's some great perspective on it. And um, it's good. So I think it, it kind of brings me into Kind of the next point I wanted to talk with you guys about too is you know we got we have the technology we have it emerging and everything and then you know we have this emergence of you know the big data that everyone talks about and you know obviously with technology it comes data and all of this and, and harnessing it and trying to do something with it and so you know whether you guys have been able to do anything with it or not or you see clients doing more is what is your kind of perspective on it now um you know looking at the amount of data that we have out there um you know again whether it's planning whether it's risk management whether it's costing whatever it is with the jobs and do you guys look at it when you come into you know a, a client and try to help them at times use their data better you know for, for a continuous improvement perspective or i guess kind of you know to start off like what what is your guys's kind of view so far with with data and using it um, you know, in regards to having it help you when you come in to talk to, you know, different clients. So we're, I mean, we're, we're looking for a data scientist. If you're interested in a job out there, listening to this. <laughs> uh, it's a huge, it's a, the National Institute of Standards ran a study, I think 10 years ago that said that the, the industry was losing $2 billion a year based off of uh, incompatible data. And I think they undercalled it then. 
And, you know, because this is in its infancy and because we're still in the Wild West, I think for a period of time, um, it's going to exasperate uh, the problem. And we, we have some clients that are extraordinarily advanced with how they use data on their construction projects, you know, proprietary in-house developed stuff that is unbelievable. Uh, but how people use that for a variety of reasons that may be unique to that client, but I think are not, um, I mean, there, there other people will have different reasons why that, and we'll have the same problem at the end of the day that they're doing all of this big data crunching and it's getting into spreadsheets and the, the people that use the data on the project are, are, are you know, four weeks old in a, a, a spreadsheet. They're not using the core data, and that's where we try to get people. And that's what we love. That's what we love about your tool. Um, is everybody can be working off of the same data set, and then how do you, so? How do you expand that? And I get into a lot of philosophical conversations with folks, um, but these different data standards that are out there are holding us back in many ways. Um, and some of the interpretive software that we use is just scratching the surface. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I would love to see us get out of the, the PDF schedules and the Excel spreadsheets and start being able to use this data to talk to each other in radically different ways. I mean, George, how many times have we been talking to clients and their biggest concern is, does this talk to P6? Yeah. Right. 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 So, yeah. But, but that, those, that's, that's one small example of a conversation that's going on throughout the industry. And you think about cost, BIM, all the ERM stuff, mm -hmm. the, sales forecasting, headcount, timesheets, safety, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable the opportunity, but we're a long way. Yeah, the analogy I would say is we're in the dark ages, honestly, right? We're, we're still completely in the dark ages. And I see, to Connor's point, huge promise. But the number, I mean, Connor deals with a, a more sophisticated set of client than, than I typically do right, that are more data driven, right? So they have those proprietary uh, actions. But what I see is there are very few companies out there that understand what that data could even potentially do for them, let alone are gathering it, which is why I say we're, we're, we're in the dark ages there. But, but the potential for it, I see is, is huge. Um, but there's, it's a twofold, multi-pronged problem, right? Connor already brought up data standards and how everything talks to each other. And it, it's not, you know, it's not all integrated. We're not working on a, on a system that's all integrated all the way through that, that shares that data. There's also the issue of, to your point earlier, George, of the processes that we're using, garbage in, garbage out, is mm -hmm. the other problem if people don't understand how that data, the importance of that data, or how it's going to get used, they don't enter it properly, even in something that already exists as simple as, as costing, right? And people put in cost codes so that they understand, so that they can put in the next bid, what their actual costs are. And you go on the job and people are throwing whatever cost code they feel like to whatever items that they're doing just to cover the cost somewhere. 
in which case it again garbage in garbage out so there's so many things that we have to overcome still uh before we're gonna reach that that point where where we can use it effectively at the same time the person or people who start to get that data soonest and and figure those things out man they're going to be light years ahead of of everybody else uh when it comes down to it and there's this huge promise right i i i won't name names of software packages that say we're using big data from all of your projects that we're combining and it's using machine learning and ai to tell you where your whatever trouble points are and i'm going all right, so you're making statistical right um, correlation between items that may have no causal relationship whatsoever. Mm. I, it, it, I don't right. It it doesn't feel well founded yet at this point um, in that regard. So we're still in the dark ages. Uh, we're moving toward enlightenment. But we we've got we've got a long ways to go. Yeah, is that, is right. that a fair assessment, Connor? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's like we see the fire over there and we're like, "Ooh, I want that," but we don't know how to make it properly yet. So we're sitting there banging the rock against each other and all that stuff. Yeah. No, it's a good way to put it. I think it's um, you know, I think one of the things that that we run into a lot when we talk to folks is. You know, they're like, oh, well, we want an API because we want to pull all the data out. I'm like, okay, great. Like, you know, what, what are you guys planning on doing with it? And they're like, well, we just put it on a dashboard and speak if someone wants to see the data. And it's like, okay. And I feel like it, it's becoming more and more that people know that there's this data out there and they're like, well, I want the data, but no one really knows what to do with it or how to utilize it and leverage it. And they're just like, well, I want to see it. I, I want to get my data out of there. Um, and I think you see things like, you know, social media that they think to clicks and how long you look at things to start throwing ads your way. It's like, if you can imagine something, you know, got to think of an analogy for a construction, but to be able to predict what you're going to buy or what you're going to want to look at based on something you've clicked on, you know, five days ago, like that would be crazy. No, absolutely. But even from a simpler example, George, I had this conversation with somebody in class yesterday right? You're lucky if many trades track productivity numbers. And right, there's this, we talk about Last Planner and PPC, and they go, PPC is a metric, but I'm worried about productivity. And I'm like, no, they're correlated. They're not the same thing. But take a program like TouchPlan, right? They're adding extra fields in there where your tickets for your, that you would, your daily tickets that you would measure PPC off, you can put right production numbers on there. So now all of a sudden you can be produced pulling productivity numbers for your crews, which is key information, right? Key data you need in order to make decisions and, and see where you have problems uh, because it's all in the system and you only all you're adding is one field. And now all of a sudden you got all this because all the other information you needed is, is right there. Um, so, so the potential there of that, that kind of integration and right, and what you can do with it is, is huge, but it's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it is. It's as simple as that. And you bring up a good point too about the trades, because I think a lot of times we look at 
Well, I mean, a lot of software packages, when it, whether it's touch plan or a lot of other things is you look at it and we generally tend to talk about it from a GC CM perspective. Um, but I think some of the people who could benefit the most are the trades because, you know, like you said, they're, they're the ones who are very concerned about the productivity numbers and how their teams have been doing out in the field. And whereas, you know, a, a GC, depending on how detailed they get into their tracking, they might look at that, but they're more concerned about the schedule you hit in the schedule. Whereas, you know, the trades have to look at it from, you know, if I'm sending a crew out there for eight hours a day, you mean, are we hitting the numbers we need to, because that's my bottom line, you know? Um, so, so to kind of go along with that, with, with the data and people using it, have you guys, what are some interesting ways that you guys have seen people trying to use data? And, and Connor, maybe you have some good experiences that maybe you can talk about, maybe you can't, but, um, you know, that, that you've seen where people have been able to take data and use it in a way that you haven't seen used before. We'll put it that way. So I, I'll tell you the people that I find most interesting to talk to about this problem. Um, there's a whole community within our industry of kind of forensic experts. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And w I really enjoy when we talk to them where they are getting into kind of the old things and trying to make interpretations about what failed based on the data mm -hmm. available. Uh, so they they have some really interesting insights, and then I always I always leave those conversations with, well, if we were looking at this instead of that, they maybe they never got down that road. Um, so they're the they're the people I like to talk to the most. Um, there there's a wide variety of things that we we run into. We 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 had a client partner, I guess I should probably say, we were looking at a Department of Energy uh, proposal for some infrastructure kind of mapping and as building. And in the proposal response was how we were going to use AI to make that easier, which um, was kind of, I thought that was, that was interesting. And, and, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that like Colin said, talk about AI and things, but these, they wanted to know in the response. Um, we have another client that's that has a carbon goal and we've been talking to them for two years about how do they capture that? And then, you know, when you have a goal like that, you know, they're starting to get to the place where, okay, well, what is it that contributes to that? So I tease them a lot about, you know, uh, they, they have the same religion I do, you know, that they're just looking to, you know, tally up and pay a bill at the end of the year. I said, you know, we, we did that for a long time in my religion too. We stopped it like 500 years ago. Um, and, you know, so get, getting them to think about, okay, if, if we're looking, what, what goes into that? And then, then ask the question, start to peel back the onion. If you start with these big goals, some of the, whether it's carbon cost, if you start with, well, what goes into it? What's the goal? What are we trying to do? And and peel the onion back. I think that's where really interesting things start to pop up. The people that are trying to solve big problems and kind of know to measure where they're at, where they want to go, and their progress. They're they're the ones doing things that are interesting. Right. More concrete 
A3 thinking, right? Where they're where they're taking the time to figure out what the what metrics matter and and where they are benchmarking where they are relative to their goals, right? Have yep. have some concrete use for that for that data as as they're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And actually, Colin, you just started talking about it, and towards the end there, Connor, you were uh, hitting on it too. Is you know are we actually tracking the right things to get to our goals? Um, you know what I mean? And Colin, I know you've talked a bit with, you know, another colleague of ours, Adam Hoots, about, you know, a lot about these different metrics and things like that is, has there been any sort of metrics and numbers and data that, you know, on, on some of your projects you've been able to try to, or try to track at least that, have, you know what I mean? That most people don't look at um, that, you know, correlate to actually some, some positive, you know, type outcomes. Um, because I think that that's part of this whole thing too, is people always look at, we'll call it the face value data, but I think, you know, the, the metrics and the data points that we aren't collecting can tell us a lot more. So I don't know, do you have anything that you've been talking about or looking at trying to track that I think most people don't necessarily look at right now? Um, I mean, I have my personal favorite, which I think lots of people, uh, like I'm sure Connor talks to his clients about this and, and, and so do other consultants, uh, right? is but my favorite one to bring up because it, it does bring about a change in people's perspective is the number of days this is a last planner metric number of days ahead of the activity start that constraint the constraint is identified and and looking at that as as a scatter diagram essentially and 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 looking at its distribution and then being able to see well how can we tighten that distribution um, and and push its average further out from the day that the activity is going to start. So, and and we even do it in really really simple ways and simple numbers for people who are who are low tech about it. Right, if they're putting their constraints up on a whiteboard, if it's less than two weeks from when the con the activity is going to start, it goes up in red, and if it was more than two weeks, it goes up in black. And we just add up the number of black and red each week, right? It could be that that simplistic, um, but it still illustrates to the CM, not just to the trade, and to the trade, illustrates to both of them, look, we're not doing a good job of looking ahead. We're not doing a good job of make ready, to use that term, in terms of last planner. And that's where we need to focus our attention. It's It's not that our... Uh, PPC is low because we're we're not executing well the work that is available. It's that so much work isn't available because we're we're not doing the pre-planning that we should be. So that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Can we, no, can we make that like touch plan it. yet, George? I know we've been uh, talking about it. Yes. Uh, whether or not I've we've put it on a dashboard, but yeah, no, I, it, it's something we can that we can track. Um, and it, I think part of it is you got it. Yeah, it is, is there's there's the dashboard where you look at the different constraints constraint metrics that we have. Um, and I mean, really, too, it, it's kind of you know the data is there, obviously, right? It, it's someone puts a constraint, and we know when the constraint went on to the you know into touch plan, and how close is it to when you actually needed it. So um, I think that's ha half the battle right now, too. It's like, well, the data is there. How do we how do we actually take it and show it to somebody or 
I mean, half the problem is too, is if nobody asks us to see it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how do we know if somebody wants to see it? Um, which to the point is why it's so important when we end up talking to, you know, customers and clients is, you know, what they want to see. Right. But that's part of, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you on that. That's going to be part of your job as, as, as a software leader in the industry. And it's, and it's our job too, as, as consultants is what pe people don't know what they don't know. And mm -hmm. so if they don't realize that they have a problem in their make ready and looking ahead, effectively or pre-planning effective pre-planning how how do they they wouldn't ask for that mm -hmm. but so sometimes we need the metric to point out the problem yeah oh no absolutely absolutely and i think that's kind of you know i know from our end that's what we're trying to do right now is trying to you know harness all the data and put it together and i know i've been in some talks with you know some of the folks behind the scenes here about that kind of you know um Dashboarding, right, is making a dashboard uh, of things that, you know, in, in a way that people are able to look at their plans, you know, from more of the the production management standpoint, uh, you know, and see how they're actually doing. How are they actually removing tasks? Do they have all of the, you know, buffers in place and time and things of that nature? Um, that, like you said, unless unless you've gone through and have researched all the background on it and know that this is something I want to see, you're not going to know. Um, and you're right. I think it is. It's partly on us to to be able to come to the to you know come to the play and say, hey, you know, you guys should be looking at this because we know that if you remove a constraint too close, it means that your projects are X amount of days late usually. So you got to make sure that it's out far enough. Um, I mean, that's really the promise that I think of data in general when we're when we're looking at things. Well, I'll geek out on you a little bit with my dissertation here for a moment, and I know we're tight on time, but um, the research that I did afterwards was on on physical tolerances, right? Uh, how how close to can we build what we say we're gonna gonna build, right? Dimensionally, um, and that was intended as an investigation. Also, since in the manufacturing world, people hand, have handled tolerances and analyzed tolerances and anticipate tolerances pretty well, um, we don't in construction. Um, in part because we lack data about tolerance variation. We we don't know what process capabilities of our various operations are, in part because they're not as standardized as they are in the manufacturing industry. Um, but the thought there was to learn something about strategies for buffering and being able to anticipate problems due to variation um, based on the actual variation data that occurred. So. I could see something here. I'm geeking out. Uh, really interesting about looking at all the activities that varied, right? And that data from TouchPlan, and going for these types of activities. This is the level of variation in activity that that's occurring, and what are the consequences to your point of that, or where do those stack up and turn into something, and what are the best points to buffer that and and anticipate that you'll need a buffer in specific locations and size those buffers um, accordingly at, as a, at a high level strategic and risk management standpoint um, is really interesting, but, but I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting super geeky there. So. No, it's fine. I love it. We can geek out a little bit. Works. Right. Um, but we, we are running short on time here. So I do want to kind of wrap it up with you guys. I don't want to keep you guys all day. 
um, although I'm sure we could talk all day. But so ju just to kind of wrap it up here is we've talked a lot, you know, technology, data in general. Do you guys have any kind of final thoughts leaving this is, you know, where we are right now with our industry? And we've talked a, bit, a little bit about it, you know, in the infancy of it. But, you know, where you see the promise of technology and data being used kind of moving forward with, you know, specifically, you know, lean construction, but just, you know, uh, construction in general. I don't know, Connor, you want to start off? I guess, you know, kind of walking away from this, what, you know, what is to be done? If if you're listening to this and you're wondering, you know, data in construction is a multi-billion dollar kind of thing, where where do we go? Uh, the, the, the kind of guiding light that I like to think about that we often lose sight of uh, on the construction management side of construction is the 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 plan is for the people doing the work and can, the value added in construction is nearly a hundred percent done by people and so when you're looking to make investments in technology think about how it will help the people doing the work and if it if if you if you can't make that tie very very quickly and and very cleanly, there's no kind of guessing, then there's probably a better place for you to invest your money. Um, so we, we see a lot of things that stuff that we do that never gets to the the people putting pipe in or pulling wire or, or you know, smoothing concrete, uh, surveying, that that those that's where the that's where you will get the return on your investment is by getting the data to those people. And I think that's where the new innovations will come from. When they start to see what's available to them, then then there will be you know, a, a new kind of rush of innovation. I'm just gonna echo what Connor said, because I thought that was beautifully put, right? We wanna push decision-making and control as much as possible down in construction to the people who are actually doing the work and if they have the information they need to make effective decisions about the project as a whole, that's the best way to move forward. But there's also a lot of training for them in, right? Even at the highest levels of CMs, I still have them having a hard under, right? This is the lean part of the equation is understanding from that information, what makes a good decision, right? Are people still yeah. making decisions based on a, on a push mentality or are they making decisions based on a flow-based resource efficiency versus right uh, flow efficiency perspective so we have to tackle that that piece of the learning as well as we push that technology and that information down to to that level but i 100 percent agree connor that's 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 where it's at awesome no i agree 100 percent with you guys i think that's a great way to uh to close it out so those who are listening, uh, thanks so much for joining us. And again, thank you to Colin and Connor for joining us here on uh, the Voice of the Construction Podcast. And until next time, talk to you guys later.